McNulty standing for anyone to get up above Cargill and find Bennett. It's into the box. McNulty cut back for Roberts. It's Gary Roberts no, from Bosby. are leading in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Mark McNulty, but a good chance by Doyle for McNulty on the edge. Mark McNulty oh, short yes. for Bosby. Smashes it past McCormack. One by Doyle. Finished by the returning Mark McNulty. First left blood for Bosby. They're in dreamland early here at Bratton. There's a through ball to Jamal Lowe. Jamal Lowe's onside. The flag stayed down. Jamal Lowe. Nonchalant. Fantastic. Brilliant. Pompey will be promoted at this rate. That is it. Pompey are champions. They won League Two in the most dramatic of circumstances. The PO4 podcast with Hugh Bunce. Proud to be Pompey. Hi, Bobby fans, and welcome to PO4 Class episode 127. Well, it's four points from six, but why is it all so unconvincing? Joining the podcast today is Andy Mitchmore. How are you, Andy? Hello, Bunce. Yeah, not too bad, thank you, man. Yeah, it's um, undefeated week, but as you say, it's a weird vibe at the moment, isn't it? In that we've, yeah, come away from two home games undefeated, picked up a few points, but there's uh, still, what is it, murmurs of discontent. On, uh, on social media, it's probably a fair way of putting it. But yeah, it's nice to be here. As always, lovely to see you looking so dapper. I'm just sad for the listeners that they don't get to see you. Oh, you're literally stroking your beard in a beautiful button-up shirt with a Peaky Blinders haircut. It's just a strong look, if I'm honest, bud. Let's not try and get the listeners to try and get this all out in video content because they'll be sorely disappointed after that review. But joining this well is Freddie Webb. How are you, Freddie? Not so bad, thank you, Hugh. Yeah, always nice to be on. Uh, Saw saw both Pompey games live, which was nice. But yeah, there's the, the, even even though it was four points from sticks, that there was definitely a lot to discuss. Even though, yeah, there's there's a, there's murmurs of uh, people not being very happy, and, and there are reasons for it, which we'll get into. Yeah, there's a lot of reasons, isn't there? But we're, we're going to get into that bit generally. So, all right, let's just get into this. He seems to be in the business business talk of getting into it, boys. So, first of all, we're going to review the win against Bolton. Following from that, we're going to talk about the rather disappointing lack of finishing in the 1-1 draw against Cheltenham. And then from there, we put out to you guys, and thanks for everyone for messaging in. You guys know it. It makes the show, and we all really appreciate it. And we said to you, Four points from six. Is that good enough for Pompey's last two games? And finally, we're going to preview the game on Saturday against Harrow. Right. Let's go, boys. Let's kick it off at Bolton. All three of us were there. The atmosphere was pretty dead, to be honest, at the back of the front end. We were trying our best to you know, raise the levels, but it was, it was one of those games as well. Maybe a bit of nervous energy around the ground. We knew that we needed to get a result against a team that were also struggling. One of the other leakiest defences in the game. And the first half, Andy, let's be honest, was a pretty drab affair, wasn't it, at both ends? Yeah, it looked like a very mid-table clash, didn't it? You wouldn't say that either side looked overly troubled defensively, but that is mostly because there was a lack of quality going fraud from the other two sides. So, I mean, Bolton, what hit the post, didn't they, in the first half? But I think Bazunu had it covered at the near post. I'm 99% sure that he would have made the save if it had been on target. But yeah, other than that, it was a fairly uh, fairly low-key first half. Um, I think Curtis had a header at the back post, didn't he, that went wide. It didn't really get near it being a threat on goal. And 
Yeah, it was a pretty ordinary first half. It was functional. Again, I you could tell that both teams were low on confidence and I don't buy into the idea that Pompey should have just gone hell for, hell for leather and, and sort of all out attack and set ourselves up um, for potentially a failure. But at the same time, it, yeah, it was, it was all right with me that it was kind of the first half scoping exercise and then they were improved in the second half. So, I mean, yeah, we had the, the Bolton shot that hit the post, the near post, that Bazunu save where he pushed it onto the bar that we were pretty much dead in line behind that was, yeah, really, really good save from Bazunu. Um, but again, it's a shot from distance. Just a pretty flat first half, wasn't it, to be honest? Uh, but yeah, it was a bit of a scoping exercise. Cowley's obviously noticed a couple of things they could exploit in the second half. And then Pompey, for me, looked better in the second half than they did in the first. But it was it was functional, unspectacular. But at least, yeah, that first half was a, a clean sheet and they got to go in and reassess at the break. Yeah, it, it was definitely. And that save from Benzuni from Afalayan was really quite a lovely save, actually. You can see from behind the goal, there's a little bit of swerve on it and he gets a really strong hand to push that push that onto the bar. But it was very unexciting start to the game. And Freddie, you just want to touch on the midfield partnership? Because I thought that Turnercliffe and Williams together really looked quite pedestrian in the centre and the two in the uh, the two there in the centre midfield. You know, it's really bad, obviously, that Tunnicliffe has been taken off and we've heard that he could be out for an extended period of time now as well. So it's another player that we've potentially got in the injury room for a while. But the introduction of Louis Thompson onto the pitch to play in the centre there really made a difference, didn't it? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, I thought Thompson had a great game. Probably one of the contenders for the man of the match when he came on. And that's hard to do, especially being a sub. He did the simple things very well, sitting back a bit deeper and winning back the ball effectively. He was he, he was he did that incredibly well. Laid a few passes off to Williams, who was given a bit more of a free roll to go forward. But yeah, the Tunnicliffe and Williams partnership, even though I would have expected better, considering both of them have played for the same team for an extended period of time when they were at Millwall. Um, you'd expect Williams to sit back a bit, just focus on the pass, focus on the linking passes, and then they've. Let Tony Cliff had a free have a free roll with a box to box, but it didn't work, unfortunately. And yeah, that added to the fact that Pompey had a very drab first half. So did Bolton. Both sides didn't create anything in the first half, but they didn't impose themselves. And it's another game where Pompey didn't really play well for the full ninety minutes, and that's that is definitely frustrating. People, um, I was going to say, I just love the idea of. Um of us having an injury room cue that you've suggested there. You said that um, Tanner Cliff has joined the injury room. I like that. The idea that all of the injured players are just forced to sit in a room together, like, you know, in a waiting room for doctors where you're trying to figure out what's wrong with all the other people in the waiting room, particularly fun in a sexual health clinic um, and trying to figure out, you know, what, what everyone else is there for. So I quite like that idea, but I think we should in- implement that. I like the analogy there as well. Speaking from a vast amount of experience from yourself. Oh, um, weekly, mate. Riddled. <laughs> you better, no, it's better to be to safe man- than sorry, Andy. It's better to be safe to than sorry. health in all aspects of your of life. Of course mate. it is. Mental good. and physical health. Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> I don't know if this is the point to mention this stuff we're doing for mind. Maybe we'll do that later on rather than Maybe wrap a bit into the podcast on. now. Yeah, that's not a good segue for that at all. <laughs> Absolutely not. 
we need to be a bit more respectful than that. <laughs> exactly. Well, okay. No, the injury room, that's fair enough. I suppose you could call it Pompey Purgatory. Just waiting to be allowed back onto the pitch once they're cleared for cleared for physical games again. But Freddie, just going back to the actual game itself in the second half, I thought Pompey came out quite brightly in it. They sort of started implementing the press a bit more, which was, which was good to see. And you could see that it also helped raise the crowd a little bit. Just these simple things, chasing down the ball, you know, making Bolton play in the lower third and stop them playing out, out the back as easily. Did you see the goal coming before we get onto it? Did you see those improvements on the pitch? Um, yeah, it was obvious that again the the halftime team talk worked and um the Pompey players are a bit more aggressive and it shows in the stats as well. Uh Pompey averaged 9.86 passes allowed per defensive action. With that, the lower the number, the, the more intense the press is. And that number rose steadily from the second half. Um the press was more intense after the goal, which is which is which is more interesting for me. It showed that the players had a lot more confidence when when Marcus scored, and then they kept on top of them and very and limited Bolton a lot. They offered nothing going forward in the second half because Pompey played fairly well in the press and off the ball, and that's what fans have wanted for a long time, haven't they? I think that was the best forty-five from Marquis that we've seen in quite some time. He linked it together. I mean, the goal obviously was a, a nice finish that. Again, to be brutally honest, live, I thought he'd completely shinned that and it was a complete fluke finish. But upon watching it back after the game a couple of times, it looked very intentional. So yeah, absolutely credit where it's due. But even aside from that, I thought his movement off the ball and his pressing and forcing up uh, the Bolton defenders into mistakes was good. Uh, created another couple of chances for himself that couldn't quite convert. But I think, yeah, it was the best 45 I've seen from him for... For a decent period of time, which was yeah reassuring at this point in the season, where we've potentially got a bit of a lack of depth in that role. Yeah, probably since the Sunderland game. Yeah, in the second half, I think the thing that worked as well is um, the quick play on the ball. The quick play on the ball actually worked this time because we've seen it before where Hackett or Harness were trying to play the ball a through ball quick too quickly and they scuffed it, so the final ball was bad. But for Marcus's goal, it was lovely build-up play. Romeo from the throw, Hackett with a lovely. Crossfield cross pass to Curtis to the left hand side. Who this year, this year, few few touches got round the fullback and then just drilled it across, drilled it across the penalty area. And good movement by Marcus to get to get um, ahead of the defender like he did in the Sunderland game when he scored from the free kick. That's one of the things he is good at. He's very good at those first touch finishes, which we've seen. And yeah, if we if we try and provide more, if probably try and provide more chances like that, then they might be able to score a few more goals. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I think the one thing that you've got to say about that goal as well, which makes it for me, is when the ball's played through to Curtis, that first touch he plays to play the ball in front of him really leaves the defender quite flat-footed as well. And he's allowed to be able to run on then to his own ball and put the ball across, which is the thing I thought was quite beautiful about the goal You know, before the finish. Talking about Marquis, though, it's just a lack of consistency. And we'll come on to that later on. But yeah, it's all right being good in flashes, but... You're talking about that confidence as well with sort of those first touch finishes. He used to be, you know, pretty good at those. But at the moment, we've seen him overplay quite a lot this season. We take so many touches, it sort of gets stuck under his feet, doesn't it? So maybe going forward, that would help us. But lads, just moving on to this game, there's not really that much to say. Obviously, Owen Doyle had that chance. He hit the bar. And also, I suppose, another thing to say is that Pompey legend Lloyd Isgrove made an appearance at right back, which failed miserably. Yeah, and the, yeah, the Lloyd Disgrove derby. I mean, it's not every day you get to play in that, is it? I hope everyone felt suitably honoured to be part of such a big occasion. Yeah, I think oh, the other thing to say was 
how well observed the silence was at the start. It's something we mentioned last week about the importance of it actually being a silence rather than a minute's applause on this occasion when it's, you know, remembrance and it's the nearest league home game on a Saturday to Remembrance Sunday. I think I heard literally one clap. And it might have been even from the away end or down that end of the stadium. And it was absolutely impeccably observed, except obviously people who were behind the stand in the front end and who were still chatting away. But everyone at their seats was absolutely spot on. And that was reassuring and, to be honest, more than I expected. So I was pretty, pretty chuffed with that. Yeah, especially when you heard Sunderland fans apparently aware as listening to one of their podcasts and that they were saying about how they were just chanting Sunderland stuff during the game. Apparently a load of spangled fans who don't represent the majority, obviously, but apparently they caused quite a stir. So it wasn't observed everywhere really well as it was at Portsmouth. So credit to everyone there who, who did do that as well. Just going back to Owen Doyle quickly, we already said that my jovial dislike for the man after promising to be the prolific goal scorer that never happened. I'm particularly smug about him not scoring a goal. So just going to have a moment just to soak that in. All right, let's move on. Is there anything to do with the Bolton game that we want to talk about before I move us on to the lovely game against Cheltenham? Roughly about it, really. Uh, again, Bolton barely created anything. Their XG was 0.38, which is very, very poor. Very poor. Yeah, they hit the bar three times, but really the only one, the only shot that actually did hit the bar that was troubling was Afro Lions, which Bazunu, which Bazunu managed to save very well. The, re- the rest of them were covered, I think. So yeah, defensively, we played very well. The pressing was good. A couple of the plays going forward were reasonable. And yeah, I thought they deserved that 1-0 one. Are we, are we feeling too flat for guess the XG on this one for Pompey? Fred hasn't just said it, has he? Oh, no, no, I guess the XG comes months. later. Uh, I've got a decent one for it, I think. It's a feature, Andy. It doesn't come in the middle of it. It's its own feature. Sorry, how could I possibly, um, yeah, how could I misjudge the situation so badly? It's, it's, it's always a main feature it's of the show, Andy, as we know. Exactly. I've been looking forward to it so much all week that just... I need to get to it. I'm just keen to do it ASAP, lads. What can I say? I can hear the excitement in your voice. It's building the tension. He's getting ready to get slapped again by me in another competition. So big game talk is coming, boys, before the next thing comes on. Let's go for it. Um, all right, let's move on to the Cheltenham game. Started off, the fans, you know, trying to get behind find the team a little bit at the start of the game. Six minutes in, we all knew Ben Tozer had a really good throw in before. He was cashed in, went to Wrexham, should we say. Cheltenham managed to find another player who can throw a ball in. Congratulations to them. It wasn't quite as dangerous as Ben Tozer. Let's be honest, his his throws really were like having a corner going to the box, but Pompey were quite well prepared for it. Raggett playing that free roll, a bit like a corner, making sure he gets his head to the ball first was, was what was going on. The ball comes in and Raggett does do well. He gets his head to the ball first. You know, that's what you want to see from a defensive Lands the Rico and unfortunately he sort of scuffs it and, it and it goes straight to their striker who manages to knock it in from what, six yards out. Nightmare start to the game for Pompey. Probably didn't help with the atmosphere and the fans as well. Everyone was like, no, I'm guessing from the start. I wasn't there. I had to work late. So I'm sort of looking at Freddie across the camera because I knew he was there loving it every moment that happened. From there, Pompey obviously going, but let's just start on that goal first, boys. What are we saying about that, that defending? Anything to add on that, Freddie? Again, another instance where Really, there wasn't that much danger. I think Pompey, had, it was obvious that Pompey had prepped for the long throws. Um, one little thing I noticed, Harness and Marquis being back in the penalty area, as well as with not many people forward, it was clear that they were trying to nullify that. And yeah, it was a reasonable clearance to start with, but then yeah, it was just a defensive error by Hackett who scuffed it. 
straight to Freestone, who was, who was actually their centre-half. It was a lovely finish by their centre-half. Bazuna was wrong-footed. And yeah, it, it, it plays into that narrative that the opposition in a lot of games, not just under Cowley, but under Jacket as well, that the opposition don't need, don't seem to need to do very much to get a golden opportunity to score, where with Pompey, it's very labouring. And we'll, we'll talk about their labouring attacking work in a minute. Yeah, it's going to be a key point to talk about, isn't it? A lot of the listeners have also messaged in about it. Andy? Yeah, I think we don't want to pile too much on Rico for the mistake because, as we said last week, he's been one of the best players in the last couple of games and has come on absolute leaps and bounds. I think, to be honest, Bazuna's positioning for the goal was fairly poor, having watched it back a few times now. I think he's preempted that the Cheltenham player is going to use the, sort of the overlap, the man they had on the far post, and he's gone towards a half split step too far towards this far post. Um, and I think if his positioning is right, he probably gets a hand on that. But again, being one of the strongest players this season, uh, as the season as a whole, so not going to pile on. But yeah, very preventable goal, uh, which is very frustrating. I feel like we said that occasionally on this podcast. But uh, yeah, I do think there were two. Well, the first mistake was obviously by uh, by Rico Hackett, which, you know, it happens it was compounded by a smaller mistake from from Bazunu, but you could, again you can kind of see why he has preempted the ball out wide. It just he's got caught off balance, as Fred has said. That that split step just happened at the wrong time. I mean, in the ball, it doesn't actually go in that far from the centre of the goal. It's not as if it's into the side netting or anything. Which um, I think he'll be disappointed with it anyway from a goalkeeping point of view. But yeah, shoulda, woulda, coulda is what it is at this point, right? Yeah, exactly. And then obviously he redeems himself. We go up the other end of the pitch. Ball comes into the box. I think it's Harness onto Romeo who puts the ball into the box there. It's a nice little cross. Marquis gets the flick on back. And it, I don't know if he was trying to flick that into the goal or, or what he was trying to do, but he managed to flick the ball backwards. Comes to Rico Hackett. He hits it sort of into the ground, doesn't he? I'm going to say that's an intentional finish. What a quality little play that is, boys. Well, obviously not. But every goal goes in, it counts. Nice finish, redeems himself. Doesn't even really celebrate. I saw he saw in the said in the pause of news that he wasn't happy with how a team were performing and they're already one goal down. So he didn't really celebrate the goal particularly well. I think Lee Brown ran over to him. He looked like the most excited player on the pitch out of the Portsmouth players there with a little bit of a come on. And he was just sort of walking away. But it sort of shows, doesn't it, at the moment, there isn't much confidence in the team going forward and scoring goals. And I'm still not convinced with this sort of, this sort of three up, up top and Harness playing wide. I just... I'm really not convinced with it. Freddie? I wasn't convinced with it either, to be honest. I think <clears throat> the team, it, I think a lot of players in the team are very, looking at it very results-based orientated at this point. And again, rightly so, considering how Pompey have played. So really, they, they were frustrated with going 1-0 down to Cheltenham in the first place. We get, Getting the equaliser for them was probably the bare minimum. So that's why probably Hackett didn't celebrate. He wanted to get, get the ball back in possession and restart the game as soon as possible. Reasonable finish by him. It was strange from where I was stood at the back of the front end. It was a strange finish. I didn't, I didn't expect it to quite go in. And yeah, um, another thing. I think, I think Ch- the Cheltenham keeper Scott Flinders sp- spilt the ball a tiny bit beforehand, and I'd seen him do that at, for York City and against Pompey many times, and he hasn't got any better. So, thankfully, Ports have had that one bit of luck there. Did he play for Palace? Butter Flinders, as I remember him being called by by their fan base. I think um, he, I think he, uh, he's played at England under twenty ones as well. 
Yeah, Butterflinders, mate. When I saw him starting in goal, I was pretty happy, to be honest. I've, I've not ever seen him put in a good performance in any team he's played for. So maybe I'm not watching enough Cheltenham games, but I just don't really rate him as a goalkeeper. Eight games for Crystal Palace, Hugh. That is pretty impressive niche knowledge to remember one of those eight games when he's played about 440 over his career. And those eight at Palace stuck out for you. That's impressive, man. Yeah, well, what can I say, boys? What can I say? You know, that's just the sort of random knowledge I bring to the podcast. But moving on from there, second half performance, you can't doubt the effort from the from the lads. It, they came out and they really tried to sort of generate more attack. They got on the ball a little bit more. But at the end of the day, you know, watching it back as well, we don't look like we can score. And as Freddie said earlier on, and as Andy said as well, to be honest, and I'll say it as well, why not? Let's make all three of us. It's really hard for Pompey to try and convert any chances. We need sort of, well, we need hatfuls of chances, don't we? Even to get a decent shot on target. I mean, Joe Morell in the first half had a strike. I thought that was a little bit unlucky. Curtis had, a, had an opportunity again. I don't really, can't really see Pompey scoring many goals in this formation. And we'll come on to it a bit later, but have we sacrificed any sort of attack going forward, which we had in the previous, you know, earlier on in that three at the back system to going back in the day, back to that Wigan game where we sort of had a couple of shots on and against Bolton, luckily one of them went in and exactly the same in this game. Is it a situation, boys, or the fact is we're never going to score playing this four at the back formation? We can't sit here so vociferously for the last few weeks and say we need to be playing four at the back, three at the back isn't working. And then just because we draw game one all go to we need to be playing three at the back, four at the back isn't working. Like make our mind up. I I still think four at the back is the way to go at the moment. It's, the hand is forced a little bit um from that respect. I think but, we're we're still creating the clear cut chances though at times. If you look at that the Bolton game, you know, we we created enough chances there to score more than one. I mean Curtis had a decent chance where he couldn't get the ball out from under his feet. There were other attempts that we had that on another day, you'd expect to go in. I don't want to give away my guess for guess the XG too much, but there were other opportunities that, you know, there were really good chances to go in. That was less so the case with the Cheltenham game, although there were some chances late on. I thought the, the Cheltenham game was a little bit more open late on in that you could have made a very good case for either team nicking the, the game. And then by definition, I guess a draw was a fair result. Whether or not that is what we should be aiming for at the moment is another question, but I think a draw was a fair, was, was a fair result for the game. But I still think we're creating enough chances in the last couple of games, to be honest. And we definitely did against Accrington the game before. Uh, it's just for me that the conversion is is the issue. But, uh, yeah, yeah I agree with you, Andy, to be honest. Um, Cheltenham. <laughs> no, no, Cheltenham, Pompey did have enough chances. They just It was just a lack of quality, basically. Even even small things, overplay, uh, overplaying the ball was a big one. I think one of the main problems going forward for me is they had to rely on lots on crossing, which, well, we said that under Kenny Jacket, didn't we? So we have to bring up the criticism here, don't we? It's only fair, simply because they, they weren't playing the ball quickly enough to play through Cheltenham's defence. So by the time Pompey got the ball in around the penalty area, Cheltenham had compacted, they, they'd filled it. So Pompey had to go wide and try and switch to play and do crossing. It wasn't that they were too slow in possession around the penalty area. It was also... It seemed like every single player needed an extra touch. Pretty much every single player needed an extra touch to try and bring the ball out their feet or, or to control the ball and, and bring it away from one of the Cheltenham centre-halves. I think Marcus's free shot one-on-one, again, it, it, you could see that it, it, when the ball was played into him, 
if he if he had a better touch, if he was if he was able to do one to, one touch around the centre half and had a shot, he would have had a clearer angle. But by the time he got stuck under his feet, he had to bring the ball out of his feet. The gap the gap had cleared, so it was an easier save for the keeper. Is it? It's little things like that where that again frustrate fans because it's clear that it was. I think today a quality issue of taking their chances rather than a quantity issue. The XG for Pompey was 1.8 today, so they could have easily, they had the chances to potentially score two goals in this game. They had, they just they didn't take them in my opinion. So Pompey was obviously lacking from options from the bench and what you really want to do is if players are misfiring a little bit, as Freddie said, taking too long, too many touches, you want to bring someone off the bench and someone to have a bit of an impact. And we'll talk about other players in a minute, but Arsenal fans be here to see that Aziz came on. Freddie, what kind of impact do you think Aziz made? Is he the kind of the per- kind of player who can come on and maybe get the passing going quicker, get it out of his feet quickly, a bit more like Joe Morel does in that sense in the middle, and try and get Pompey ticking at a quicker rate and maybe create some more chances? I think it's definitely an option. From the quarter of an hour I saw of him, he seemed very lively. It was obvious that I think the big thing we said earlier was touch and control. And Aziz definitely has that. He was able to bring the ball away from the Cheltenham defenders much easier. Had a had a curling shot that was easy, quite easy for the keeper to save because he didn't put the power on it. But yeah, I don't think um, any other player would have been able to find that shot from there, which, which is something. I definitely think he's an option to bring on either playing deeper in midfield where potentially that's his preference or a bit further forward since he replaced Hackett. He was part of the the three behind Marquis but the, and then Hurst who came on. But yeah, I thought the subs, they didn't have the... It, overall, I don't think they had the impact that Danny Cowley would have wanted, but it's obvious that the depth for this squad isn't here. Where, uh, Williams came on for Thompson. It was a like-for-like sub and it, and it stabilised the game, but it didn't add much. And then when Hurst came on... I'm sorry, I don't really rate him that much. From the from, from, from the few minutes I've seen him, I don't I don't see what he adds. The pre, the press wasn't as intense when he came on the pitch. To be honest, um, it was obvious that it's a catch twenty two for the manager because if Cowley doesn't replace Marquis at eighty minutes, I think it was, it was clear he was a bit knackered. So that's why he's probably subbed him to try and keep the intensity on. But you do. Pompey needed a goal well, I don't think Hurst added that very much you telling me that George Hurst didn't impress you in this game Freddie I mean I absolutely can't believe that it's got to be the most shocking comment I've heard on this podcast I've been saying for ages the man is one of the worst footballers I've ever seen put on a Portsmouth shirt and you know I didn't realise that I'd be considering whether Minsumba would be overtaken as a most useless player I've seen playing for Portsmouth and I know it's a little bit harsh guys but Watching him play, coming on the pitch, he doesn't add anything to me. And as Freddie said about the intensity dropping, we saw that earlier on in the season in the Cholton games ended up with us drawing it. I, I actually think that in some ways he's adding a ne- negative equity when he comes onto the pitch in value-wise. There's got to be someone else that can lead the line and at least chase the ball down and press higher up the pitch and and do that. You almost think you could have put, I don't know, you could have Curtis up there. Where's a Hadmi? I mean, I don't know what the man's done, but... It seems to me that he's well, not even Dali, in consideration. Carly probably doesn't rate him, I don't think. I think he doesn't rate him, Freddie. It just seems ridiculous because how can he rate Hurst? I mean, when watching, watching the man play, he wouldn't he wouldn't get in the haven't side, would he? I don't think I would go that far, but, but, but Hurst isn't offering anything. It isn't offering a lot, but the problem is, do I really think a Hadmi would offer 
a bit. I think he'd offer a bit more, but I don't think he, it would be a significant change. I don't think personally, he's a, he's a penalty box striker that relies on service, and in that game, he might have hung on to the last defender a fair bit. But I think, but in terms of the the quality around the penalty area, it wasn't really good enough. He, he might not have added as much. I don't think. I think it's quite clear that the the squad depth up front and in certain areas in defence isn't there. And that's and that, and that's a problem when you're trying to change the game. If you, if if a manager isn't confident in the options he has, then where did Pompey go? It's difficult, isn't it? Because I really want him to do well. This is the thing. Like I really, really want him to succeed. Same, to be fair, same with all the Portsmouth players, of course. But with Hurst, who's coming in, obviously with relatively low confidence from previous clubs, and a what is essentially a non-existent goal-scoring record in English league football. I mean, I don't know if he's actually scored any more goals than the three of us combined in English league football, has he? Um, I don't think he scored in, in a competitive league fixture. Uh, Fred, can you fact-check me on that, please, while I'm talking? Thank you. Um, yeah, but I, I really want him to succeed, but it just hasn't even really looked close to happening, other than that one chance he had when he came on against, who was it on the Tuesday night? Was it? I can't even remember at this point. He came on as a sub on a Tuesday night game, I think. The Ipswich game. It, uh, it was four, Ipswich, four yeah, it was, yeah, it was Fred. We were about 4-0 down at that point and he forced, uh, I think it was, Ho, was it Ho, no, whoever it was in goal for Ipswich into a save. Other than that, it's not even really looked like happening. What you need is some sort of, again, I'm going to do my weekly cricket shout out. One of the new big stat things in cricket is a sort of match effect and players now get there's a, a value that's, I think it's calculated by uh, the cricket, cricket analysts, so CrickViz, and they analyse the net run gain or net run loss a player causes on a match-to-match basis from their fielding, their bowling and their batting. It'd be really useful to have that for football. I'm surprised that in a sport where there is you know, as much money flying around as there is in most cricket competitions that we haven't got that sort of metric as yet. Um, I, I thought you hated stats, Andy. You know my job, right? My entire job revolves around stats. I just get aggy on the podcast because this is supposed to be me not doing my job. I know for, for you, Portsmouth is your job now. For me, this is my downtime when I'm not teaching people, you know, the depressing truth about the effect of COVID-19 on mental health and strokes. This is like feel goods. So, you know, what I what quite like is a bit of, a, you know, happiness away from stats, but they they certainly have a means to an end here. That's a metric that would be really useful. Um, but yeah, Fred, have you fact-checked me on the the, the Hurst goals? Yeah, he's, yeah, according to footballreference.com, he scored zero league goals. He's only scored his goals in Premier League 2, so that's under-23s football for Leicester. Oh, and, uh, and on loan at, uh, for a Belgian side, and that wasn't in the top league either. Right, anyway, let's move on to the next question, because you guys have messaged in, and you've messaged in in your vlogs again. Much appreciated, guys, and we're going to try and get to everyone's comments and questions. And we asked you guys... Is four points enough from Pompey's two home games? Dave Hartley messages in. He says, It's a good return after a dreadful few games. Looking defensively better in the last two games. Against Bolton, we contain them well. Finishing is a problem. Often too many touches or not passing to the better option. Keep it simple. More squad depth with experienced loans needed in January. Well, we touched on those experienced loans did in January and Danny Cowley better be out there at the moment looking for who's around and what's going on. And I'm sure he is talking to everyone involved. I mean, uh, yes, we have so- we have solidified up the defence. And let's be honest, when you're conceding four at home against Ipswich, something needs to be done back to basics. And I suppose 
from that space, we have actually improved on that generally going you know at the back. So that's one thing I think we can we can give a little pat on the back on in this sort of rather drab performances that we have actually managed to only concede one goal in two games. So yeah, there's a positive. Yeah, I think um, definitely defensively it's been a major improvement in those games. Um, like we said against Cheltenham, really, Cheltenham only had two chances. Uh, but for the majority of it, the key blocks were made and the back four has definitely helped solidify things. And I think the, the main problem, the movement uh, the movement for, uh, from the midfielders around the back four isn't very good. There are, There were so many instances in the Cheltenham game where it was recycled all the way along the back four from Romeo, then to Ragged, then to Ogilvy, then to Brown. And then nobody was there. So they had to draw back, drop back the ball back to Bazunu. And of course, no, there were no options for him. So what did he have to do? He had to, he had to do a direct goal kick punt to the left-hand side. And I swear, <laughs> this is another thing that frustrates me with that Charlton game. Every single goal kick was to the left-hand side where Curtis was. We criticised Kenny Jacket for the same thing about it being one-dimensional. If the movement, if the movement off the ball in possession around the centre half isn't very good, Pompey can't play out from the back. And then they have to do the goal kicks to the to the player who on average has better aerial duels. But it was obvious. It was easy for Cheltenham to defend against. They they double marked Curtis after a while and that was it. And it made some of the build-up play look quite lackluster. So yeah, I I do think going to the back four was the best idea to start with. And overall, considering how bad Pompey were against Ipswich and Rotherham, four points is fairly reasonable. The problem is they're playing sides that would be that would finish in and around mid-table where Portsmouth are. So really, four points is okay, but it, but it's not inspiring. I don't think. But yeah, you've commented there about the ball going out to the left, but yes, it might be. I think the word you used was predictable or easy to defend against for Cheltenham. But Pompey have got to play to their strengths in that respect. So if the ball's in the air, if you've got a choice of who it's going in the air towards out of Curtis, Harness and Hackett, I know who I'm choosing as my, you know, who I think is strongest in the air out of those three. And for me, that's Curtis. He's been, it's one of his most underrated skills for me is that he's actually really, really good in the air in terms of flick-ons. And I agree that, yeah, it's nice when we play it out from the back in terms of Bazunu playing it short and then we get nice structure build-up play when that happens. But we have created chances from those long balls forward from Bazunu. There was one, again, it was in the last couple of games, uh, where it was a long ball forward and the opposition keeper, again, it might have been in the early stages against Ipswich, I can't remember, uh, maybe not. The opposition keeper came out and completely made a hash of it. I know, it was um, when Curtis had the shot cleared off the line, wasn't it? Was that, was that from against long ball? Against Stanley, from yeah. Yeah, against Stanley. And that was directly from a long ball from Bazunu. So I don't want to pile on that too much. I think it's it's got a means to an end. And, and as Hugh said a minute ago, we've come into these games from a position of being frail at the back, to put it, you know, to, to downplay it slightly and a mess at the back, to put it probably more accurately. And at this point, the first job to do is, is to consolidate at the back and fix the, the primary issue, which is the fact that they were leaking ridiculous goals. Uh, and and they've done that other than the one against Cheltenham and that's going to happen from time to time. So, yeah, I I don't agree with you too much, Fred, because uh, 
That would that would uh, negate the need for both of us actually being on the podcast. No? Oh, I, I was going to say. I mean, I mean, the, the, the hell would froze over if that happened. But yeah, I don't mind. I don't mind the direct, direct goal kicks. It's just that when it becomes one directional habit like that, and it happens too many times, we've criticised Pompey sides several times for that. So we have to do it here, don't we? We have to bring it up. We can't ignore that. No, I completely agree. I think the fact is it's not a bad outlet occasionally to mix things up and, and do that so you're not predictable the other way around. But if that becomes predictable completely and it goes to Curtis, and I always felt a bit bad for running Curtis under the Kenny jacket. People who've been listening to the to the podcast for years now will, will know that because I don't want to see Curtis with his back to gold standing near the touchline having to receive the ball like that because genuinely I actually want him to be in positions to score more centrally, which is where he's looked better at the start of the season, really. Not playing hanging wide and trying to head the ball back in for me it's not it's not the way forward but yeah if it's pragmatic enough then yeah let's go Pompey and Canberra messages in he says four points from our two home games isn't a bad return but the performances are more of a concern the holes in our defense and lack of cutting edge up front means we are going to continue to struggle unless things change we just don't have a strong enough bench to change a game absolutely we're looking we're talking about that earlier on talking about the different impact subs we can have we don't have any really at this moment in time who are making a big difference, especially up top. And at the moment, Danny Cowley is going to have to try and work out some sort of way of keeping that back four that works so he can defend, but also trying to get players on the ball who are actually going to score. There's only so much time we can sit around going, it's going to click, it's going to happen. Hopefully it does, boys. But at the moment, I'm sort of crossing all fingers and all toes. It's a sign of desperation, isn't it, when we're doing that and we're hoping rather than putting decisive plans together. Uh, I just wanted to quickly, contra- like, well, not contradict, but disagree with Fred again, just to really keep us on our toes. You said that Cheltenham only had two good chances. Uh, I Or there were only two moments when you felt like Cheltenham might score. I thought there were three or four. I jumped up in the air a couple of times thinking that we were about to concede. There's obviously the, the goal we did concede and the Vassell chance that really should have been scored even in Sunday League and thankfully scuffed it wide. But there was more than one other occasion in the game where I was fairly confident we were about to concede and then had an absolute moment of relief when we didn't. I don't know, Fred, if you uh, if you disagree with me. I think overall, when I looked at the XG for Cheltenham, I think I think it was one, exactly one. So those are the I think if we're looking back from the game, those are the only two major chances. But speaking of that Carver self miss, it's time to bring about the bit the bit of the podcast which you all love and Andy's favourite bit. We're gonna play Guess the XG. And you uh, and both of you have to guess what Carl Vassell's XG was when he made that ridiculous miss against Pompey from about six yards out. Can I just jump in and say that this afternoon I dropped my external hard drive at work and it broke and I lost about three terabytes worth of data and I still felt happier then than I do now. <laughs> you can re-download your poor mate off the internet, don't worry about it. Mate, you, you can't. <laughs> I'm not going to go down that road. Pass. Freddie, back to you. All of the thoughts I've got to say back to that, all of them would cost me my employment. So we are going straight back to Freddie with an introduction to Guess the XG. So I you're ignoring Guess the XG because of that. No, 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 let's get into it. Do you, know what, do you know what? I'll go first in this one. I think the XG for that goal was 0.7. Oh, is this just for the one goal or for the Pompey for the whole game? For, for, for Carver Sell's shot that he missed from six yards. 
Oh, I see. Well, I seem to remember that Marquis missed one from about a yard out. Or no, it was a pullback and he took a touch. And we discussed at what point guess the XG actually happened because it must have been like 0.9 when the ball was played back to Marquis. And then you claimed it was like 0.5 or something absolutely mental. So based off that, the Vassell chance was more difficult than that. So if you're telling me that the Vassell chance was more than 0.5, then you are just using a completely flawed metric IMO. So I'm going with 0.42 for the, for the Vassell miss. And the winner is Andy Mitchellmore. Suck it, Bunts. Uh, again, I, I, I think the XG's wrong here, to be honest, because I thought Carl Vassell should have buried it. <laughs> he should have buried that chance completely. His XG for that shot was 0.31 which I think is harsh, personally. Oh, but yeah, Andy's, uh, so it's one all in Guess the XG now, in he case anybody's doing a tally that. at home. Bunce is actually crying into his microphone. It looks like he's about to get an electric shock from all the water of the tears. Bunce, how are you feeling, boy? I'm gracious in defeat as always, Andy. You know, I'm not going to whinge about it like you. I'm happy and I love Guess the XG. So, Freddie, thank you for doing that. And you, I got your uh, text, yeah, I I got your text mate. That is, that's not what your text said just now. <laughs> I haven't got enough time to text at the same time as hosting a show, not like you, mate. <laughs> All right, thanks, Freddie, for guessing the XG, and hopefully next time I will be less ambitious with the result. But, okay, let's go. Um, Jack Chapman messages in. He says, four points is better than nothing. Cheltenham game was so frustrating as we had plenty of opportunities to finish the game off. The Cowleys need to look at some attacking options in January because we aren't hitting the back of the net enough. Marquis isn't having any luck at the moment. Is it the fact that he's having bad luck at the moment, or is it the fact that he's not consistently putting in performances? Well, you said earlier about he can sort of, it seems a bit hot and cold almost. I can't remember exactly what the phrase you used, but it was something along the lines of some flashes of goodness and and not consistent. But in a striker, in a number nine, all you really need are flashes of goodness because it's those individual moments, those split seconds that get him on the score sheet. And, I mean, you've mentioned earlier that the options are, are fairly limited aside from him playing up top at the moment in terms of the squad depth. I'm a massive John Marquis advocate. You know, I am. Um, and I think a lot of the grief he gets is fairly unfair, even though there have been runs where it's become pretty close to the point of saying that we need a bit of rotation here. I do think it will come, well, it is coming good for him in that he's scored and assisted a, a decent amount in the last few games. Again, if he's got the confidence to be trying the little flicks like the one he did against Bolton, my only concern at the moment is his motivation. I'm thinking it's to score or to play well for Pompey. I, it would be understandable if that motivation would be to stick the middle finger up at the fans. And as a fan, that is a really unhealthy motivation for my players to want to score. And I could be completely incorrect here, but in his position, getting some of the grief he gets, that would absolutely be my motivation just to stick a finger up at the fans and say, actually, you. And I, I don't know if that's the healthiest motivation for a striker at my club to have, even though I don't blame him in the slightest for having it. I think the point there is, are you referring to the goal celebration there that he's doing with a sort of cup the ears to the fans, Andy? Yeah, partially involved in that. That, that is certainly part of my thinking. It's not the only backing to, to that being my opinion, but it's definitely one of the supporting factors. Yeah, can't blame him for that at all. It's normally away players, you see, doing that at the front end. I mean, an ex-Pompey player, you've, we've seen Owen Doyle do it for Oldham. We've I'm pretty sure we've seen maybe Michael Smith do it as well. We've seen other ex-Pompey players, really, who don't like the club very much anymore do it. 
And I've got a concern if we've got players who are currently playing for the club who potentially don't really like the fan base either because of the crap they're getting on uh, on the social media channels. And yeah, it, it frustrates me a lot. Forgotten Pompey Goals matches in, he says, Harness, Marcus and Curtis are now into the third season together and still have zero chemistry playing together. They look like they never play together. Big change needs up top. One positive note is Morel and Thompson partnership looked great last night. Freddie, they do look pretty good last night, don't they? So are we going to say that with them going forward, maybe we can create something? But we look solid in the centre midfield. Maybe defensively that helps. It helps us keep possession and tip the ball over. But how are we going to get these the front lot actually firing and scoring? Is it just sit on our hands and hope it comes good until January? My first point with the midfield, Joe, I think it's very balanced. I do like it. I think Morel's probably one of our best signings. Um, I know the goals and assists aren't there, but my God, it's obvious that he's a very good player just by watching him. The, the ability sometimes to dry, drive play, but also have that grittiness to win the ball back. He did that several times in this game. And I think Thompson, <clears throat> the, more, the more he plays and the more he gets used to 90 minutes, I think he's a good partner for him because even though Thompson is more defensive than Morel. He can he can still dribble fairly well. He can still drive play, which helps. So having two balanced centre midfielders like that should help the the front three and the striker in that regard because they should be able to support them, give them outballs, etc. But I do agree that I don't know what it is. Sometimes the front three it it doesn't click as well as it should do. It seems that they they have play too slow in possession. So the defence compacts, then we have to go wide and cross, which is which sometimes works, sometimes doesn't. Or we play too quick, or they try and play too quickly, and the final ball isn't as good. And the only way for that balance to work is just sitting on your hands and hoping, really, because there's not many other options for that midfield free behind the striker, or indeed the striker, to change it. It's I think the only player you'd bring on is Aziz. Um, it's clear that Cowley doesn't seem to want to bring on Jacobs at all, which I would. I think he needs he needs some more minutes to see what you have. It's a, it's a big contract just to leave on the bench, so I think you have to evaluate him before maybe potentially moving him or not. But I think that's where the frustration comes from. It's the say that there are similar patterns from under Kenny Jackett's tenure to now. There are similar patterns, not not entirely the same thing. But there are some of the patterns of Pompey's attacking players labouring a bit more to get their chances than the opposition, and sometimes that reflects in the, that reflects in the XG, and sometimes it doesn't. And I think that's where the main frustration is coming from. I think. And we, uh, uh, last point on Marquis, statistically, I think we know uh, statistically and by watching, I think we know what he is. Um, he scored four four goals a season. His XG is four point zero five. So he's he's converting the chances he's getting. Basically, he's not he's not on a unlucky patch. He's not not taking his chances. He's pretty much just over a one and three striker in League One, I think. And that's where he is. He suits he suits the play better than any other option we have in terms of the pressing. He, and his free assists account for that accounts for that. But, but, but it's uns- it's not. I don't think it's surprising that fans are wondering what other options there are. Put it like that. And that's a good segue because the George Hurst Appreciation Society messaged him. He says, the simple solution is to play George. Lord Hurst will bag in a hat-trick when he starts in the next game. 
Mark my words, lads. We have a good one here from the George Hurst Appreciation Society. Well, let's just move on from that one. Callum Dulce messages in. He says, all these people saying Cowley doesn't want a good... A- didn't want a good new striker. Have you forgot we tried to sign Stockley? It's clear he don't rate Marquis. He just ain't going to slag him off in the media. Well, let's be honest, slagging off his strikers in the media is probably not going to help when they look like they're shattered confidence generally going forward. So I suppose that. And Danny seems to be quite a positive coach. He's not the kind of coach that's going to come out and slam everybody in that sense. But yeah, we tried to sign a new striker. We tried to get Stockley. And whether or not you rate Marquis for all that, I think it's because he doesn't necessarily rate the squad depth behind him, does he, Freddie? I don't think he does. And we mentioned that Cowley doesn't like slacking off his players in the media. Some fans I overheard at the game kept saying, oh, Cowley says the same thing in press conferences and they kept on going on about it. <laughs> what else are you supposed to say? Do you want him to do the opposite and just say that half his squad, do a Jose Mourinho and say half his squad is terrible? Because you know what happens when a manager says that. You alienate half the dressing room and then they're gone and then the fans blame the manager for alienating half the dressing room, don't they? I still watch I still watch Cowley's press conferences. Think to Jacket's press conferences in comparison, it's a bit of a breath of fresh air. And he's saying the same things all the time because, it, because it's true. The, the, the squad isn't good enough. The performances aren't quite there yet and it's frustrating, which we probably all agree with at the moment. There's a little tidbit about the squad depth. Neil Allen wrote a piece today about um, Ryan Tunnicliffe's uh, hamstring tear and how bad it is. After you, re- after you read about the injury, there's a, there's a quote at the bottom, direct from Danny Cowley, which I'll read verbatim. Danny Cowley in that article said, we've had a small budget to work with this summer, so couldn't afford to go with a big squad and haven't got the quality we need. For Danny Cowley, how damning is that? In the, really, slightly he's basically said what I'm thinking. Um, slightly opposed to what Michael Eisner tweeted at the start of the season, wasn't it? How it's a you know a complete squad. It's the finished item, uh, finished article. Uh, just for the, the record, the benefit of the tape as well. Freddie refused to read that quote for me before we started recording because he wanted a visceral reaction from Hugh and myself to how damning that is as an indictment from Danny Cowley. Um, but. Yeah, I mean, compared right. to what Danny Cowley usually no. says, I think that's pretty damning, isn't it? Saying oh, that the squad de- the squad depth isn't there and the budget isn't big enough. Yeah, well, I was going to say, I, I do think it's damning. I, I think what's interesting there is how you interpret that, really, because you've got a situation there where Danny Cowley said they hadn't got much budget to work with, I suppose. So is that because we have these contracts on the books that meant he couldn't bring many players in and out with the, with the with the budget we've got or is it because the budget itself is too small in total i think that's something that fans have been debating on twitter whether it's a uh, next season when players come off the books the likes of harrison jacobs um marquis comes off the books if you wanted to ship him so there's a lot of big contracts aren't there that come off the books then you'd have more budget to to you know quote unquote work with or is it the fact that as we think really the overall budget is just not good enough to get us promoted yeah it kind of ties in with something uh ben messaged in saying he want he's interested what percentage of the playing budget people think will be freed up next season and yeah you've named a few players there who realistically probably aren't going to be sticking around when uh, when their contract is is run run its course and again this is why I think there's far too much reactionary stuff going on at the moment in terms of you know people when they come into a club they need a number of transfer windows and it was Sam the other week said you know Kenny Jacket got four years 
And there are already people saying that a change is needed after, what, 15, 16 games. Give the men a chance. Give them more than one transfer window. They're still stuck with a, a proportion of, deep down, they might consider Deadwood. And we can say that. They can't because, you know, we're a fan podcast and they are <laughs> managing the squad day to day. But they're probably stuck with players they don't want from a previous uh, previous manager. It's going to take a couple of transfer windows to get the squad they want. By all means, judge them in you know, 18 months after they come in, after they've had two transfer windows, they've had time to put a squad together. But not at this point. They're still playing players that probably they don't particularly think fit their system particularly well. The quote that Fred pulled out there from the bottom of the article where they're saying that the quality and the depth isn't there at the moment. They're, they're absolutely spot on. It's not there at the moment. I don't think anyone is pretending otherwise. Um, we keep we always talk about that poll that was run at the start of the season where people predicted Pompey would finish and the majority of people thought it would be mid-table. And again, we I've said this before, but the goalposts were shifted a bit because of those early performances that were so good against Crewe and, Shrew- and Shrewsbury at the start of the season. People have adjusted their expectations potentially a bit prematurely. And that's not me saying that I think it's where Pompey should be aiming to finish. Again, we a couple of people messaged in, didn't they, saying that we were giving across the impression that we think Pompey are a League One mid-table side. That's absolutely not what we're saying. For me, Pompey's base level is where we should be, is mid-ish table championship. That's where I'd think, yeah, Pompey are at their sort of set point. That's where we should be sort of um, sometimes being above that, sometimes being below that. But we should be alternating between you know, the middle of the championship. But the squad we've got now and what the Cowleys have inherited and they've only had one transfer window, for me, it is a mid-table squad. And yeah, I think that that's just where we are. That's the reality of it right now. And I think the last two games have reflected that really well. Bolton, Pompey and Cheltenham all look like very similar mid-table sides for me. I don't think any of them are going to be pushing for promotion at the end of the season at this point. Looking at all the people who are out of contracts, there's a fair few, a lot from the previous regime, but some, some that were brought in. I've got the full list from Transfermarkt. These are all the players whose contracts end at the end of the season. I'll just read their second names. Williams, Downing, Brown, Jacobs, Marquis, Harrison, Thompson, Raggett, Harness, Hackett and Jaden Reed. There's a lot of pre-COVID contracts in there, if you remember, that were signed under Kenny Jacket long-term. <clears throat> Jacobs' contract was just before COVID, I believe, from memory. So there is money there. If you, if Danny Cowley wants to again let let them all walk in the summer and then sign new players, but it is worrying that it, it seems to be again that Portsmouth are always in the position where they ha- where every time you think of a transfer, you think which Pompey player has to leave in order for that transfer to happen, and again that's a frustration that's been with the club for a number of years years now, even before COVID. Joe messages in, he says, four, four points is a start. It's unacceptable that the start has taken so long into the season. I think it's fair to say that we just sort of still seem to be trying to find what, what actually works with the squad we've got. And as we said, the squad's not really good enough at this moment in time, especially since the loans, the majority of them, should we say, have flopped. I think that's fair to say at this moment in time for impact they've got on the pitch. That was your squad depth there. And if all those squad depth players aren't working and it's not quite working with some of the players you've got on the pitch... I can see why we've had such a slow start to the season, really. Alf, um, Alfie John messages in. He says, 
to not beat this Cheltenham side is poor in my view. Thankfully, Danny Callier said we're looking for a new striker in January. But my question is to Freddie, as he's a transfer expert, who is still who is there still left to sign that's good enough? Also, I rate all the Elton John references. Well, you can thank Andy for the Elton John references, but Freddie being the transfer expert, I'm not quite sure about that one since it's been bloody months together doing it together. But Freddie, <laughs> since you're the transfer expert, supposedly... Who who should we be signing in January to play up front? Well, we're the transfer experts, obviously, here, because we, we go through this stuff together, don't we? So, so that's that moniker's not just on me. From the quick look I had before the podcast, it is slim pickings. Very, very slim. Like it is every January, really. I'm trying to remember the last significant Pompey signing in January. And me and Andy were talking about this pre-show. We, we basically said it was Steve Seddon or Andy Cannon. And probably Steve Seddon takes that in terms of a loan. Out-and-out strikers, I really didn't like what was on offer, to be honest. There are some strikers that aren't getting that much game time, like Jack Marriott, for example, who you think, oh, he's got pedigree at League One level. But really, (laughs) there's not a lot out there. One player who I do like, not a striker, but will aid creative chances, is Dylan Bahambula from Oldham Athletic. Excellent player. Right winger, so Marcus Harness will move into the 10 if um, if you go with the 4-2-3-1 anyway. Wicked dribbling, fairly reliable crossing, helps with the press in your face. And he's got one year left on his contract, so Oldham have got a choice of probably either keeping him for the season and losing him for nothing because League One and Championship sides will be after him or selling him for something. But again, like we said earlier, I think to be able to sign a player like Bahambula, even even though he's in League Two, Pompey would have to move somebody on, and that's the frustrating part. But yeah, Bahambula is on the top of my list, even though he's not an out-and-out centre forward. He definitely helps deal with the um, some of the creative problems Ports have been having. Yeah, I think that's not, that's not a bad shout, to be honest, Freddie, with there. And again, looking at strikers is quite difficult. I think off the top of my head, I'm just thinking of goal-scoring players you could sign. You've got to look at someone like or maybe from like Matt Jay, maybe from Exeter. If you're going to spend a bit of money, might not be a bad shout. Already got nine goals this season playing for Exeter. I, I don't think this side's going to spend any more money, mate. I, I don't think in January. I think they're going to they're going to try and shuffle around the deck for a bit. And I think that's about it. I don't, I don't, I think that might be a bit too negative, but I don't see who Pompey are going to sign in January for a fair bit of money. I just don't, I just don't know who, who the, who's, who's available and would Pompey spend that money? No, I, I agree. I so. Who do we need and who can we realistically sign is going to be another question, really, isn't it? We're going to spend bloody ages going through data and messaging different people, you know, all different clubs to try and work out where we can shop in the bargain bin. Because at that stage, I think that's a fair to say at this moment in time. Maybe the club turn around and make a statement signing like I was talking about just then. But most likely, let's be honest, it's going to be shopping at Wilkinson's rather than anywhere nice, isn't it? A sad but probably accurate analogy, I think, there, Bunts. I was going to say on the Elton John stuff, I was having a look after the pod last week. He's literally got a song called I Guess That's Why They Call It The Blues, and we didn't pick up on that, which is either a very good thing or a very bad thing on the three of us, depending on um, on whether you think Elton John is a good artist to be a fan of or not. I know your words at Hugh were, he's shit, I think, were last week. So um, I think we know where you stand on that. But yeah, we missed an opportunity there. 
Well, look, some fans are moaning about the atmosphere at Fratton Park, quite rightfully. But we, what we could do then, Andy, if you if you wanted to go with this, and I'm going to play along with it with the Elton John line, what we could do is we could start playing goal music like Fleetwood. But instead of Captain Pugwash music, or when that's we concede, why they called it the Blues. When we concede, don't go breaking my heart. When we score, that's why they call it the Blues or whatever it's called. Um, Sorry, the atmosphere of Fratton Park's already been bad. We don't need goal music to add to that. <laughs> if we lose stop full, going. full-time music, sorry seems to be the hardest word. I think Not if we time. start playing goal music, I'm going to start a new club and we'll go from there, really, to be honest, because I think all will be lost if we start playing Elton John music when we can Elton sing John it when FC? we score. Elton John FC, mate. That's it. We'll just get down to Baffins and, and start, get, get start the club again. Manager. We can only sign players who have got John as the surname. Collinson, that could be a good one. Same same for players as well, right? Yeah, yeah. Collinson, John, he used to play, didn't he? What other ones have we got? Freddie, do you players with the surname John we can bring in? Declan John. Stern John. Oh, he's a scammer. We can't have him, surely. No. We really are great, uh, <laughs> grabbing at straws. We move it on. This is just dreadful. <laughs> what are you talking about? This is, this is the kind of um, content that people crave. There this is, is the content fans player. call out for El- Elton John Weekly. There's Kyle John is a is an academy player at Everton. He could we could bring him in. Nicola messes in. She says, I feel a lot less negative about it than most on Twitter, apparently. Frustrated again, but I think that comments that only Thompson and Morell were any good are unfair. And I've seen a fair few. Braggart, aside from completely losing Vassell when he embarrassed himself, was good. Won everything in the air. Romeo is also good. And I'm the first to criticise when he's being a petulant child, but Curtis worked his bollocks off and I was the big, and was our biggest goal threat going forward. In brackets, he could have done with tracking back better though. Morel covering him more than once. Yet again, no finish. I think that's fair to say. I think Romeo's looked pretty decent at right back, isn't he, Fred? Oh, it's one of the best signings that Cowley's made, I think. He's probably one of the better right-backs that, that Pompey have had in a long time. He's better than Nathan Thompson, better than Callum Johnson. It's quite clear he's championship standard, in my opinion, in terms of, in terms of defensively and going forward. And the link with Marcus Harness will develop over time. Uh, the only problem is, since he's on loan, when his contract expires, that, that, that's another hole that Boss would need to fill. And yeah, well, 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 Kieran Freeman can play there. He's fairly solid, but he doesn't offer as much as Romeo does. Jack Bright misses in. He says he's concerned about the slow build-up and how we're playing. It generally baffles me. It would be good to hear if anyone has a theory into why it's a good thing. Well, if it's working with the build-up play, you don't want to just be punting balls forward aimlessly. So I sort of understand that. But this moment in time, we seem to be sort of stuck in a culture change where we're not really quite sure whether we're playing the build-up, whether we're putting it long, what's going on. I think it's fair to say that Cowley wants to play possession-based football, but not necessarily a slow build-up. What he'd call more passing of purpose, would you say, Andy? Yeah, I think so, Hugh. Um, there was, you know, when he first started in the job, he said he wanted to play quick attacking football, uh, which, you know, I'm sure every manager says when they first come to a new club, to be fair. It's like a buzzword, isn't it? Well, Kenny said, wasn't it? And Leighton Orient. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the funniest things I've ever read. That was great joke. Uh, but yeah, I think what Fred said earlier about uh, the Akron, not the Accrington game, what Fred said earlier about the Cheltenham game was how it slowed down once we got into the Cheltenham half and then resorted a little bit to crosses into the box. And those crosses can 
be useful. Like there was one from Curtis that was really dangerous that went past the far post. And in the Accrington game, we looked really dangerous crossing in from the wings. But those crosses in from the wings in the Accrington game were from where play had been a bit more stretched beforehand. So there was more space in the box. And that's what looked like it was a bit different in the, in the Cheltenham game in that it was more a case of slow the play down, get the ball into the mixer, hope the pinball drops for you and you can lash it in from close range. And it was, yeah, slightly less slightly less inspiring on the eyes, wasn't it? But uh, yeah, I think in terms of the slow build-up play, it just seems like after a few iffy games defensively, defensively where we've been caught out and stretched, they've very much gone back to sort of back to basics and having a decent structure to the side and doing things a bit more methodically and less spectacularly and being, yeah, very functional rather than spectacular or trying to be solid rather than spectacular. And it's a very thin line between that and just slowing the play down so much it becomes predictable. And yeah, potentially they were just on the wrong side of that line uh, against Cheltenham. Joe Bryant messages in and he says, question for the podcast. With Cowley prioritising a central defender and a striker in January, what names do you think realistically we could acquire, whether it be on loan or permanent signings? I'm just going to caveat this quickly. Everyone is literally reaching for what players we should sign, strikers, central defenders, whatever. It's the start of November, people. Right? When we lead into December, we spend a lot of time researching this, developing this, speaking to people, and we will come out with our transfer window podcast we do defenders goalkeepers probably won't need a goalkeeper one this year but hopefully not anyway and attackers and we'll spend a lot of time researching it but what i will do joe is we'll throw you a little bone here because i gave freddie 20 minutes to come up with some ideas so freddie what central defenders in the 20 minutes i gave you to prep before this when i sent you the message do you think we should sign in january God, that, that was also a shocking <laughs> shocking 20 minutes trying to, trying to find central defenders that, that were at least realistic to get because I looked at League One a fair bit and I saw names that I liked, names like Michael Ehekwe, that type of thing. But I'm looking at them and going, why would they move to Portsmouth? There's no reason to because Pompey are a mid-table side now. Their stock's dropped a fair bit. So I don't see why many players in League One, why would they move, Why would they swap to Pompey, really? Unless they're sold on the vision, I suppose, like Morel was. I think that's the only thing you have to focus on. Yeah, believe in the project, Fred, don't they? They've got but, the yeah, that, project. Like I said, I, I would rather not give out any names on half-baked opinions. I'd rather spend several hours in the spreadsheets <laughs> to, to have a look at players who, who I actually believe are realistic to sign and I think are worth talking about in detail rather than trying to do it in 20 minutes before the podcast starts. Fred, if we never said anything that was based off you know, half-baked opinions, it would be a very short and a very quiet podcast. That is what I base most of my most of my content on this podcast on is stuff that I say. And then as I'm saying, I think, actually, Andy, that's probably a load of crap. But I've committed by that point, so I stick by it. But most of our opinions are half-baked, aren't they? Sometimes literally in, uh, in the case of some people on the, on the podcast. <laughs> Naming no names, Fred. No, co- no comment on that, right? <laughs> All right, thanks, Joe, for messaging in. Much appreciated. Gary Marble messages in. He says, firstly, love the pod. Cheers. It's always nice to hear, Gary. Glad you enjoy listening. Appreciate it, mate, for listening. Secondly, week after week, you talk about giving Danny Cowley three years, etc., etc. I think we're talking about three transfer windows, but let's carry on. What is it you see that convinces you that the man can produce something for us? 
I don't trust his recruitment. The football dreamy paint simply isn't transferred to the pitch. His substitutions are the same week in, week out, and they've achieved absolutely nothing. Kenny Jacket got four years because he won football games. Not enough over a season, unfortunately, but we were up there. I can't see any re redeeming features or anything that makes me believe he can get us out of this division. He seems out of his depth and full of hot air. Would love to hear your thoughts on the podcast. I think that's an interesting question. I think, first of all, the comment on the, the substitutes, I would I disagree with slightly based off, I mean, even just the Bolton game, the fact that Thompson came on for me and that substitute did change the game to a large extent, I thought, in the second half. In terms of why I think we need to give transfer windows here and give time, for me, with Kenny Jacket, we hit a ceiling. And we hit that ceiling pretty early on and we stayed there. And there was never going to be any improvement on where he'd got us to within six to eight months. With the Cowleys, I firmly believe that that ceiling is higher than it was with Kenny Jacket. But it might be the case that we don't reach that ceiling as abruptly or as suddenly. There was a, there was a, an increase in performance very quickly with jacket. And we, we sort of, if you think of it like a plane going up to cruising altitude, we went from taking off up to 38,000 feet within about three months. I think with the Cowleys, again, I don't want to be going to like space analogies, but potentially we've got a higher cruising altitude, like 45, 50,000 feet. I regret this analogy a lot, but maybe we're, we're sort of gaining altitude at a slower, slower rate. Um, I do think that's a fair point, but I think I've explained it absolutely feckin' dreadfully. But uh, yeah, that, that's why I think the Cowleys need the time because our ceiling is high with them. I think there's more of a long-term vision than there was with Jacket, which was do the same things repeatedly and hope the small margins go in our favour more. And that was the same with Jacket within the game, where we try and stay within one goal until the 80th minute and then try and nick something. And it was the case over multiple seasons or between seasons where you try and finish there or thereabouts and then hope things go your way in the playoff game. And we know how those go. Whereas with, yeah, with Cowley, I think we are potentially better than that, but it's going to take more patience to get there. And that is something that we're not, well, I say we in the broadest possible sense as a fan base and as a, you know, people in football in general who love the sport aren't traditionally very good at um, is being patient. I think of the talent in some of those Kenny Jacket sides. Matt Clark, Jamal Lowe, players who have who, who gone on to play in higher divisions. Ben Thompson. That's... Ben Thompson. Um, there was a lot of wasted talent, wasn't there, really? And most of the fans wanted the change in the first place. We were talking about how excited we were in the summer. Until that little dip where he realised, oh God, it's the first game of the season. We have only two centre midfielders. What's going on? <laughs> Until then. But there has to be a bit of patience. But uh, but I think we're doing a reasonable job on this pod of mentioning the bad bits of this side. And there are a few. And we are mentioning it. And the, and the tactical problems that there are, we're mentioning those as well. But if it helps, look at, look at Pompey's transfers. The ones that haven't done that well most of them are the loan signings. The key players are performing, in my opinion. Joe Morrell being the big one. Marlon Romeo being the big one. Some of the others aren't. Uh, down to external fractures. Clark Robertson was playing really well until he got injured. 
Ryan Tunnicliffe started off okay, dropped a bit, but now he's injured. That's that's unlucky. Injuries haven't helped either. I think Ogilvy's been play, playing really solid. Williams has been okay, but he's on a one-year contract. If he doesn't work, he can just you can move on from that at the end of the season. It's not that's, it's not going to tie you down. But yeah, which players that are brought in haven't categorically haven't worked? I would say Hurst and Ahadmi at the moment. And then Reed with one knee. Nobody got injured. You can't really say I'm not, bl- I'm not blaming the Cowleys fella in the slightest. Absolutely not. No, I'm just adding him to your list of players that haven't fired because he hasn't run at all. Oh, um, I, I would probably say Hurst and Ahadmi are the big ones. And it, it, it's annoying that they're both in the same position. So it exacerbates the fact we haven't got any depth up front. Freeman's a solid depth player, but hasn't set the world on fire for me. Um, didn't play very well right centre half when he was brought in. Williams, again, some of his performances have been reasonable, some of them haven't, but he's played a lot of games out of position at left side of centre half where he isn't. I don't think I, I think I don't think overall this first transfer window, considering the smaller budget, considering the fact that Pompey missed out on several targets because they went elsewhere because they got offered more money, and rightly so to them, they they went after they went after the best option for them, and that's fine. But again, I don't think I don't think there have been any major disasters in the transfer window yet. Can I fire really? a question at both of you based off something that I've seen quite a lot on social media? That is, but for me. Players are seen as better players when they are not playing and managers are seen as better managers when they are not managing your club. And I saw what for me was a really surprising number of comments saying after the Cheltenham game, we'd have won that game after jacket, uh, under jacket. Firstly, I don't understand how anyone could possibly say that with any form of evidence whatsoever because there isn't any evidence to that point. But I'm interested in whether the two of you think that we would have won that game under Kenny Jacket or not, because I don't see how anyone could possibly have that as an opinion. It's a sort of ga- it's a sort of game that a Kenny Jacket side probably would have won because the biggest problems came against the playoff rivals and sides that were promotion worthy. There were a lot of games where Pompey beat, let's say, an AFC Wimbledon that finished low, lower bottom half fairly comfortably. And now in this game, and now at the moment, because of all the changes in the squad, the, these games are a bit more difficult. I, I, I get where that's coming from. But then again, the, those same people would probably say that the football was dreadful. It would have been dreadful anyway, and we can't beat teams around us. So it's swings and roundabouts for that on that point, really. No, I don't think he would have won the game, to be honest, because I don't think it's uh, necessarily all about tactics in this sense. I think it's just really a personnel issue. And as we said, I think Jacket picked up a better squad then than we've got now. And I don't think, if you look at the way we played, if Kenny Jacket implemented his system in the game that we played there, the result would have been much different, to be honest, Fred. I can't really... I can't really see a way in which we are playing under Jacket with the players we've got on the pitch right now that would have got any better results than what we got on Tuesday, for instance. So for me, I don't think it would have made any difference having Kenny Jack in the dugout and maybe the players would be less motivated. Who knows? But at this stage in the game, I don't really think Jacket's football there would have made a difference and would have made us win the game. And one of our listeners, Harrison Smith, is putting on a football game um, to raise money for Mind. It's going to be on Sunday, the 5th of December. 
this is kind of preempting a little bit, just so you guys know, because the details will come out later. But side by side, FC will go head to head against Ask Twice FC under the lights at the Hampshire FA pitch in Winkleberry in Basingstoke. Um, it's in memory of Gail, their mum, who they lost 10 years ago in November. We'll be raising money for this mental health charity, Mind, and we also want to promote their campaign. So just to listen out, we'll produce more information on that further on. But Harrison doing some great work there to promote Minds, the charity, who we've also done a bit of promotion with as well. So check that out, guys, and we'll keep you updated. Greg Mitchison, he says something needs to give. I'm not a football manager, far from it. I used to believe Marquez was a confidence player. He got six and six or something last year. But Danny Cowley needs to drop him. Give someone else a chance to redeem themselves. Well, I think this is the fact that, Greg, I think the problem is we don't actually have anyone else to put in. And uh, <laughs> we've already spoke about the options we've got at the moment on the bench. And who do you want to play up front? Welcome to suggestions, yeah. boys. I like that Greg's messaged in without any actual <laughs> suggestions on who we could play instead. Um, yeah, I wouldn't know unless you went whole left field and played, you know, either Harness or Curtis up there with Hackett behind or with Harness behind, and that would mess up the wing system completely we've got in place at the moment, which is where we're actually most settled. Then, uh, well, in terms of like knowing who's actually going to start in those positions, although they are a bit fluid during the games, I don't know who else I'd bring in and, yeah, kind of echo your sentiment there, Hugh. But uh, it's squad deck, isn't it? I've got a why, why don't we go for a front three? Why don't we go Curtis and, and Harness up top with Rico playing behind them? in a sort of a two with a one behind. So rather than going so wide, we go to a system again where we play three up front, a three, but we play two and one. What do you reckon, Fred? That could potentially work it depending on how fluid the front three is. Um, it worked a bit going forward in the back three system. But if it, but if they're not moving off the ball as well enough, it can get very central and teams could just compact the midfield and block it. Um, I think I think that's going to expose Romeo right back as well because he's generally a, a, he's looked good defending compared like as an improvement recently. But I think he is a stronger attacking right back than he is a defensive right back. And I think if you do that suggestion, Bunce, I think you're leaving him a bit too exposed for me. Nah, that's worth trying, isn't it? Greg carries on. He said, didn't expect miracles when Danny Cowley came in in a difficult situation. But the performances are just dire. It's the first time this season I didn't uh, buy the iFollow pass to watch every game since it was available. And I'm not sorry for that at the moment. Danny Cowley needs time, two seasons. Well, I think we've touched on that already, boys, haven't we? To a level of where Danny Cowley goes and what we think about giving him time. Agree with that, Greg. Nice one. Right, let's move on. Let's talk about the next game. Probably we've got a little bit of a break from their form in the league a little bit here. Harrow Borough are the team that next come to play us at Pompey. Let's be honest, we don't know very much about Harrow because there's barely any data out there. Um, so we're going to try and do this as best as we can. But Harrow Borough, also known as the Gosport Destroyers, beat them in the league 1-0. Maybe if you're a Gosport fan, you might have seen them and maybe should have tried to get you one on the podcast. But, you know, hindsight's a good, great thing and all that malarkey. But... Harrow is a bit of a situation where we can work out, maybe we irritate the team, maybe do some crazy formations. Maybe we try something that I said a minute ago, the three players playing in that narrow formation. So we're not going to spend ages trying to go into which players we think are going to be great, etc. because we don't know too much about him, apart from the lovely James Ewington, who managed to score three goals against Chelsea City in their 4-2 win to get this cup tie, this magical cup tie against Portsmouth. Boys, what I want to know from you guys, though, is do we go and rotate the squad? And if so, who do you bring in, Freddie? I would rotate it a fair bit. I'd go with a balanced measure. I think 
Alex Bass definitely needs a game. Give Pizzuna a rest. I'd give Bass both this game and the cup game midweek against Crystal Palace on a B team. Some of the other players I'd like to see play, I, I want Aziz to start. Um, that's a big thing. I think he definitely deserves um, a full set of 90 minutes behind him if he could do that. Some of the players, maybe you can try Kieran Freeman at right back, give Romeo a rest. Uh, Freeman's also very solid and to get those minutes in would be good for him. I'd start Louis Thompson if he's fit enough because he needs to just bank those minutes to get closer to playing four games again. That's another player who I'd mention. It's a strange one up front. Who would you start? I, th- I think this is the sort of game where you can try a Hadme if Cowley actually rates him, uh, which I don't think he does. You could try a Hadme or Hurst, give, the, give them that opportunity. And if it doesn't work, have Marcus on the bench to bring on. So I would change it a fair bit, but I wouldn't go completely mental and rotate the entire 11 or anything. Andy, do you yeah. agree with Freddie? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, my Haribara knowledge is yeah fairly limited uh all i've got for you is that steve claridge actually played for haribara and portsmouth he played for both sides that's the linking factor that's your trivia for the evening other than that yeah i think i'd read on their facebook page the extensive research we do here uh the last time they got to the first round they lost six nil to northampton town i cannot tell you what year that is or was uh, and before they they lost two nil to chesterfield so this is the equal furthest they've got in the FA Cup at any point. Um, in terms of rotation, I mean they're coming in. <laughs> they're coming in on a very good run of form, lads. They won a lot of games uh, in a slightly lower league than League One. I mean, who can forget the four-two win against Chelmsford Town? It's one of the best days of 2021, as far as I'm concerned. If God, if I had a dollar for every bit of information I could give you about that game, I mean, geez. In terms of rotating our squad, I, yeah, I agree with Fred. I'd like to see. Aziz get a start to show what he can do, you know, fresh from minute one in a game. It's difficult. I don't I don't fancy having a wholesale system change just for one competition. I'd want to keep the system fairly similar, just in terms of how you're incorporating match prep into training uh, in the week running up to the game. If you try and change everything for one week, it's there are obvious pitfalls with that. Um, I also would like to see Alex Bass get given a game. It's It'll be sad if he turns into a cup goalkeeper for us because I do think he's a long-term prospect for the club, but he's not breaking into the first team in the next five minutes because Bazunu has just been spectacular this year for us. So, yeah, I think rotation is the best policy. Have some strength on the bench that can come on in case of emergency that we really hope won't be necessary. Can you imagine? It should be an interesting game. It's one of those ones where you can't really... I mean, how does Danny Cowley win from this? Like if Pompey win comfortably, he gets no credit. You know, it's what Pompey should be doing. Heaven forbid if Pompey lose, absolute uproar. It, although I think most people would probably just laugh because it would be beyond ridiculous. It's it's kind of a catch-22 for him, I think, and it kind of a catch-22 for the squad, which makes it more difficult to prep for because Harrow are going to turn up. They've got absolutely nothing to lose, absolutely zero to lose. And instead, you know, playing on a big stage, potentially the biggest game in the club's history, and uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. That's all of the information and the thoughts I have on Harrow Borough. Um, this is the first time I've ever thought about them in the 30 years of my existence, I think. So that's been a, a fun bit of research. Hugh, what, what do you know about Harrow Borough? What can you add to those diamonds of information that Fred and I have, have put together there? Not much. I gave you my notes. So I'm, I'm, thanks for, for reading those out. But very, um... oh, I see what's happening here. Very funny, very funny. <laughs> 
Yeah, I know bugger all about them, to be honest. But let, let's just go anyway to our score predictions. Andy, I want to know your score prediction for the game against Harrow. I predict a hilarious 3-0 defeat. I probably shouldn't do that, should I? No, I'm, I'll, I'll go <laughs> with... I'll go with a 3-1, I think we're going to concede, because I think away teams, non-league, semi-professional teams often have a moment, don't they? And I think that... The, you know, just written in the stars sometimes, I think we could concede. But uh, I'll go for a 3-1 win that pleases very few people, um, but does get us through to the next round of the Cup. Who's scoring goals, Andy? Come on, I know we don't even know who's going to start, but who are you saying? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm ragged from a set piece, and Aziz double, and a ragged own goal. Why not? Which the uh, Harrow Borough then tries to claim because he wants to score to Fratton Park. It's a very specific prediction, but uh, yeah, we'll go with it. What if you agree with Andy, get some money on that one. But Freddie, what is your score prediction for the game on Saturday against Harrow? It shouldn't be difficult, even if um, Danny Cowley changes some of the squad. <laughs> like Andy said, it's a no it's a no win game. If, if Pompey win this game, then they go through to the next round and we forget about it. But if we lose, God knows, I'm not even going to Go, go any further on that. 2 0 Pompey, Rico Hackett, and Joe Morrell to score. Yeah, and I'm going to go for a 3 0 Pompey win. I think we'll get a clean sheet. The couple of performances we just had against you know two teams in our league clean sheet, three goals, Aziz, Freeman, and whoever starts up there with him. I'm, I'm just going to go. I sort of want to say Rico because he's on goal scoring form, but Freddie said it now. Rico, Aziz, and Freeman. Why not? He's got to get a goal at some point. All right, boys. Andy, it's been great having you on the podcast, mate. So nice of you to remember me. Thanks, you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, bring on a, a famous win against Harrow Borough. It's going to be a, a great talking point for next week's pod. Buzzing. Lovely to see you both. <laughs> it's going to be great, isn't it? I can't wait to break down the. Uh, the Harrow game and go through the analysis of how we played. But Freddie, it's been great having you on the podcast, mate. Always a pleasure, Hugh. Uh, lovely to talk to you uh, talk to you both as usual. Yeah. And until next time, Play Pompey. You have been listening to the PO Forecast for Pompey News Now. Available on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow PO Forecast at Pompey News Now on Twitter for more information. And there is the full-time whistle!